Well, we thank God for seeing us through the month of February, amen. How many of us are ready to march forward in the month of March? And uh, a new month starts tomorrow, amen. I'm looking forward to spring. <laughs> it means enough of the snow, the end of the snow. Yeah, we are grateful to God for that. I'm believing God that you will have um, a great month in, in, in March. Amen. It's going to be well. Today we are rounding up our subject on knowing Christ. Over the four installments, we've been looking at one man's confession, which was born out of a hunger and zeal for fellowship with God. After all he had achieved, he said in verse 12, I haven't arrived yet. Basically, that's what he said. I have not arrived yet. And if someone like Apostle Paul could say that, what would somebody like Stephen also say? That's me. You know, so I've realized that in Christianity, let's guard against destination disease. And what's destination disease? The feeling of, I know it all, I have arrived and I have attained. Amen. So, um, today that's what we are going to look at. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning as we come before your holy word. We pray that your word will be a blessing to your people, inspire your people, or minister to your people. Thank you that your word will bring insight and bring understanding to your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Philippians chapter 3, verse 10 to 11. That's what our text for today. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. In our first installment, we focused on I may know him. And we realized that one of the ways we can know God, I mean the primary way for which we could know God and which was established in our first installment is through the Holy Scriptures. And we dealt with that, especially in the life of Cleopas and the other unnamed disciple who were on their way to Emmaus from Jerusalem and when Jesus came in their midst. We realized that it was through the Scriptures being expounded to them, Christ didn't become a mystery to them. So if you want to know who Christ is in your life, the Bible is the primary tool or resource that will help you. In our second installment, we looked at the power of his resurrection. And we have to know this truth and be grounded in this truth solidly. It will affect our paradigm in our walk with God. First Corinthians chapter 15 presents a case for that. And we looked at Paul's defense of resurrection. He explained um, two weeks ago, we looked at being a partaker of Christ's sufferings. Every born-again believer is promised a better life. I did explain that. A, a believer is also promised a better ending, but not a suffering-free, trouble-free life. We have to realize we are not above our Master Jesus Christ. If he suffered, we will. 
we went into that in total. So I advise you if you're not here, probably listen or even re-listen again to get the meat of this message. Last week, we looked at what it means to be conformed to his death. We have to embrace the aspect of Christ's life to walk in the newness of life God has destined for us. With this understanding, we will live a life of victory over sin. One of the ways by which you really overcome sin is to understand being conformed to his death. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, Psalm says, Oh, I no longer live, for I've been crucified with Christ, and I have faith in the Son of God. When you come to that realization, sin will lose its hold and its dominion over us as believers. Amen. Today, in this fifth and last installment, we want to look at attain to the resurrection from the dead. So from this scripture, Paul was not just interested in knowing Christ or being a partaker of his sufferings or conforming to his death, which will affect how he will walk the Christian faith. He was also interested in being a partaker of the resurrection. You see, Paul had great knowledge and great insights into the power of resurrection, probably more than any apostle in writing. There is no apostle in the New Testament who could explain the mystery of resurrection and had so much insight and revelation than Paul. But it was not enough for Paul. He also wanted to attain to being a resurrected one. What do we learn from this? Believer, don't just know about the resurrection, but strive to be a partaker of his resurrection. Easter is five weeks away, you know. It's not enough to go through the rituals and the celebration and talk about Christ's resurrection. And all that happened, we will will see. We will know about Christ's resurrection, give mental assent to that, which is powerful. But it will be more beneficial for us to see ourselves in the resurrection at the end of this age. Amen. So what attitude should we have before we experience the end of this age? And that's what we really want to focus on. We are going to be looking at the subsequent verses of our text, starting from verse 12 into the next chapter. That's chapter 4, verse 1. And please follow along as I read them so that we can glean some salient points on how we can strive to be a partaker of Christ's resurrection. Another word for this word, I think, means to be a partaker. So what, Christ, what Paul was saying is that I want to be a partaker of the resurrection. I want to attain to the resurrection from the dead. And I pray that may that be our call this morning at the end of the service. Don't just know about the resurrection. Strive that I will be a partaker of this event. Amen. So now I just want us to read through the subsequent verses and pick our salient points from them. So Philippians chapter 3, I'm starting from verses 12 to 14. And one thing I would like to say is that I would like to encourage everybody to do contextual Bible reading. You know, in your private moments with God, try and read scripture and context. Because when you do that, the truths are connected very beautifully in scripture. And it seems to have a certain symmetry and a certain flow. 
and we will do that today. Now, I'm reading from verses 12 to 14. Not that I have already attained or I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the price of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now you see that verse 12, it says that not that I have already attained or I'm already perfected. So what was Paul saying? He was saying that I haven't attained to being a resurrected one yet. I have not yet been perfected. I have not yet come to the destination of glorification. All that I need to do is to press on and I will lay hold on towards the goal of the price of the upward call. And what was the goal of the price of the upward call here? It's resurrection. It's not just any goal. So when you read it in context, Paul is talking about, I need to press on toward the goal of becoming a resurrected one. Because at the end of the day, knowing Christ is good. Praise God for that. Being a partaker of Christ's suffering is good. Thank God for God. Being conformed to his death is good. Thank God for that. But I have to attain to being a resurrected one. And for this reason, I am prepared to press on. Like I said earlier on in my opening remarks, don't have a destination disease. A sense of arrival, a sense of I have arrived, a sense of I know it all, a sense of I have attained. If you are listening to me, we haven't attained anything yet. Until the end of this age comes, we haven't really attained anything yet. Therefore, keep on going. In Paul's context, there were many things that he could have bragged himself with. Mind you, when Paul wrote this thing, it was 25 years after his conversion. And in, and, and in that 25 years, man, Paul had that a lot. He had planted churches. He had preached the gospel to the Gentile world. He was an apostle. He had a signature message called grace. There was nobody who had the wisdom, the enlightenment, the revelation of the doctrine of grace than Paul. He had done it all. He had written books. More books even than Peter. He had, he had sons in the ministry. He had, he had protégés in the ministry. Paul had done so much, but he never rested on his laurels. And therefore, believer, if you are listening to me this morning, don't rest on your laurels. Don't rest on the small victory that you have achieved in your Christian faith. That is not what is all there is to be. And Paul also forgets about his history. He says that I forget those things which are behind. It's included his history. You know, Paul, history was not kind to him. He was part of the people that persecuted the church, that killed people. And people always wanted to remind them of that. But Paul had this mentality that I press on. Today, decide that I'm going to press on irrespective of what I might have achieved, irrespective of my earthly achievements, irrespective of my history, press on for the high price of resurrection. When we press on, it means we keep on keeping on. 
When we press on, it means we keep advancing in the things of God. When we press on, it means we strive to be more like Christ. I quite remember when I was in school, when your teacher marks you with a red pen, one of the comments that he will write on your report card is more room for improvement. <laughs> uh, more room for improvement. And as we have come into Christianity, look, there is more room for improvement. Don't be satisfied at your level. There is more room for improvement. Keep growing in the fruit of the Spirit. Keep seeking after the gifts of the Spirit. Keep going. Keep living by faith. Keep growing in godliness. Keep establishing yourself in the faith. Keep going. Keep moving on. Keep overcoming sin. Keep overcoming temptation. Keep becoming steadfast in the Lord. Keep becoming resolute. Don't rest. Don't settle. It is not yet over until it's over. Press on. Press on. Paul says, I press on. After all that Paul had done, he said, I pressed on. Paul had raised Timothy. He said, I press on. Paul had raised Titus. He said, I press on. Paul had planted churches in Thessalonica, Ephesus, Corinth. He says, I press on. Paul had preached the, the gospel in almost the entire region of Asia Minor. But he still said, I press on. Press on. Don't be satisfied. Don't be satisfied. All there is, it's not all there is to be. Press on. Number two. Verses 15 to 16. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. The second thing I want to talk about is maturity. Paul says that, therefore, let us, as many as are mature. Maturity in this context shows in our understanding or how we think. You know, Paul once um, advised the Corinth church in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. He said, don't be um, malicious, but rather be babes in malice, but be matured in understanding. So when you are a Christian and when we talk about spiritual maturity, it also has to show in your understanding. When you look at mature here in this context, in Philippians 3 verse 15, it talks about the height of virtue and character, which has to do with maturity of your mind and, and, and who you are. It, it talks about virtue and integrity too. And if you do remember, in our Bible study, when we did growth and fruitfulness, we tackled virtue and we said virtue means moral excellence. Maturity also shows in your speech. When you read James chapter 3, verse 2, the Bible says, if you are able to bridle your tongue, you are a mature man. The word used there is perfect, but it's the same Greek word, mature. It takes laboring in faith and the grace of God to reach that level. With that said, let's look at some activities that will help us mature. So, under maturity, I want to talk about four activities that will help us have a good standing in the faith or we will come to a place of spiritual maturity. The first thing is the Word of God. 
And there are two things you can do with the word of God that will help you mature. One, to read it, and two, to practice it. When you look at Romans chapter 12, verse 2, the Bible says that, and we should not be, be conformed to this one. I, I think this year I've quoted this scripture a lot, if you really pay particular attention. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may know that which is good, perfect, and acceptable in the sight of God. The word perfect there is also the word mature. So when you read the word of God, and when the word of God has the effect of renewing your mind, you come into a place of maturity. Practicing. When you read James chapter 1 verse 25, the Bible says that if we look into this perfect law of liberty, the word perfect there also means mature. So when we look into this mature law of liberty and continue in it and we do not become a forgetful hearer, the Bible says that this one will be blessed. So the word of God is one resource by which we can gain spiritual maturity. So we have to read it and we have to apply or practice it. The second thing is belonging to a local church. Now I want to read this. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11 to 13. Now I'm going to read this in a version called Holman Christian Standard Bible, HCSB. And listen, and he personally gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the training of the saints in the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into a mature man with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. The purpose why God has ordained a local church with ministry gifts is for the maturity of the believer. So you have to belong to a local church. So people who are like, I don't believe I need a church and I need a pastor, you are cutting yourself off one of the primary resources by which you will attain spiritual maturity. Because mind you, spiritual maturity doesn't come in a vacuum. And spiritual maturity is also not self-taught. Spiritual maturity is belonging to a local church. That is a body of believers where God has ordained ministry gifts for your well-being. So the reason why God created the church was not necessarily for fun, not necessarily for entertainment, but to train saints in the work of the ministry. And when saints are being trained in the work of the ministry, they build up the body of Christ. And not just that, the church corporately we will come together in the unity of the faith and we will come in the knowledge of God's Son. Church is a place where you should know more about God. You should know more about Christ. Christ should not be a mystery when you are a church member. And then it says that we will grow into a mature man. And what shows that we have grown into a mature man? When we are measured by the stature of Christ. So your maturity has a measure. It has to be measured to the stature of Christ. For this reason, God has ordained a local church. So a local church is one of the places where you come, you receive growth that will help you mature into the image and into the likeness of the Son of God. Number three, understanding the doctrine of righteousness. 
I want to read this from Hebrews chapter 5, verse 13 to 14, NIV. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Because of this scripture, every year I try to preach the subject of righteousness at least once or make a series out of it. Because the Bible says right here that if you are not acquainted with the teaching on righteousness, you are still an infant. You're on milk. Gugu gaga. You are still on milk. But a time has to come whereby we have to graduate from the milk of the word into the solid food. And right here we realize that solid food here is the doctrine of righteousness. You don't just have to understand the doctrine of righteousness. You also have to practice the doctrine of righteousness that it becomes a lifestyle. Understanding the doctrine of righteousness is one of the ways by which you can grow into spiritual maturity. So today, if we have an x-ray, how will you look like? Are you a baby with the baby milk and pampas and still saying gugu gaga? Or are you an adult eating solid food? Understanding the doctrine of righteousness. So one of the ways by which we can know whether you, have, you, you are mature is explain to me the concept of biblical righteousness. And when you see someone who is fumbling, that person is a baby. You may have been in the church for 28 years, but you're a baby. According to this scripture, you're not grown. You haven't yet had the solid food of the word, which will help you to discern what is right from evil. Understanding the doctrine of righteousness. And the last thing that I want us to look at on how we can attain maturity is being made perfect in love. First John chapter 4, verse 16 to 18. First John 4, verse 16 to 18, New Living Translation. We know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in His love. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. Christian, you will become mature when you become perfect in the love of God. You see, a Christian that is afraid of punishment, a Christian that is not bold on the day of judgment, this is the reason. You are not being made perfect in God's love. And what does it mean not being made perfect in God's love? It means you have not received the extent to which God loves you. You haven't. And that's why Apostle Paul, one of the powerful prayers he prayed for the church is in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16, that we will come to know the love of God, which passes all knowledge. This love, the width, the height, the depth 
of this love. It passes all knowledge. He prays that we will know. And until you are able to understand this love, you will never be able to experience the exceedingly abundantly above what you can think or ask. You will, ne- you will never get there until you understand that love. So sometimes you can quote that scripture to the Lord who can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. But read the preceding verses. We first of all have to understand the love of God which passes all knowledge. It talks about the height, the length, the breadth, and the depth. If I do remember right, length, height, and breadth can be calculated. But you can't calculate depth. <laughs> so the, the love of God is incalculable. God wants us to know this love, this immense love that he has for us. Until we can understand this love, we can't disseminate love to our neighbors. It's virtually impossible. So we have to understand the love of God. When you understand the love of God, it's easy for you to practice love. And Jesus once said something to his disciples. He said, it is by love that the world will know you are my disciples. For us to love people, for us to forgive, for us to extend acts of love, it is because we have been fortified and we we are immensely immersed in the love of God. And I pray this morning that may you experience God's love. May you be made perfect in God's love. When you are made perfect in God's love, when you hear the word judgment day, your heart will not skip a bit. There are some Christians when they hear the word judgment day, their heart skips a beat. If your heart is skipping a beat, it's because your heart, you, 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 you've not been made perfect in the love of God. And I pray that may we be made perfect in the love of God. Because not only we will be able to love our neighbors, we have that boldness on the day of judgment that I am ready. I am his. You see, that's maturity. That's maturity. So I pray that may we come to that place of maturity. And when we come to that place of maturity, there are certain resources that will help us, that we will take serious, like the Word of God, belonging to a local church, understand the doctrine of righteousness, and be made perfect in love. Let's move to number three. Philippians chapter 3, verse 17 to 21. Brethren, join in following my example, and note those who so walk, as you have as for a pattern for many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction whose God is their belly and whose glory is in their shame who set their mind on earthly things for our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Paul enjoined us, follow my example. Join in following my example. So, we, let's follow Paul's example. And what, do, what did Paul do? The first thing that you realize is that he noted those who had 
the same mind as his. And it's important for us to also note people who have the same mind as us. People who have the same pursuits. People who are eternity driven. People who are heaven minded. People who are spiritually focused. Let's note people like that. Because when we do that, we, it can create a company. And company brings vibe. Company brings energy. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says that bad company corrupts good manners. So we need to be on the same frequency with certain people because we have the same pursuit at heart. Paul did something. He was passionate about the lost. And how do you know that? He said he even wept at those who are enemies of the cross because their end is destruction and their God is their belly. And they set their mind on earthly things. Let's be passionate about the lost. Passionate about the lost. Let's pray. Let's pray for the lost. Let's be passionate. Well, what Paul is saying here is not condemnation. It exudes passion. Let's be passionate about the lost. Pray for the lost. When was the last time you interceded for a lost person? Pray for the lost, knowing that one day we have to make it to heaven and be a partaker. Of the resurrection pray for the lost be passionate and then the, the thing that the, the last thing that strikes me here is that Paul was mindful of his heavenly citizenship and he eagerly awaited Christ's coming church let's be mindful of our heavenly citizenship it's true you're an American citizen I get it but you're also a heavenly citizen be mindful of your heavenly citizenship and eagerly await Christ's coming. Paul says something. He says, when the grace of God appears, it teaches many things to live godly, sober, deny ungodliness, deny worldliness. But one of the things he mentions is that you will look forward to the blessed hope of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what grace is. So when we are under grace, we look forward to the blessed hope of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's be mindful of that. I quite remember when I was young, when I hear the word Jesus is coming soon, I get sad. I'm like, man, I have not married. I want to buy a house. I want to buy a car. I want to do everything. You can't come now. I mean, you can't come. I refuse you. You shouldn't come at all. Don't come. You know? But now it's different. And it's different not because I have achieved personal things per se. It's so because of growth in Christ. Eagerly await Christ's coming because he is coming. It's not he will come. He is coming. I'm not trying to postpone it to the future. He is coming. Be mindful of that. Be mindful of your heavenly citizenship. And when you are mindful of that, earthly things will start to lose value in your eyes because you have another world in view. You have another world in view. One of my favorite songs I used to hear, I don't hear them anymore, I have another world in view. You have another world in view. When you have another world in view, it changes your perspective. It changes your pursuits. It changes what you look forward to. 
I pray that may we all be mindful of our heavenly citizenship and eagerly await Christ's coming. And when, when we do that, it, it informs how we live. It informs our decisions. It informs what we pursue. I pray that may we be mindful of our heavenly citizenship and eagerly await Christ's coming. Therefore, Paul was able to boldly say, Brethren, join in following my example. Today, as we are reading this, let's follow Paul's example. And let's find people who have the same pursuits like ours and have community with them and share company with them. Let's be passionate about the lost. From today, pray for the lost. This week, pray for the lost. Pray that someone will experience the love of God that will lead them to Christ so that they can be a partaker of the resurrection. Be mindful of your heavenly citizenship and eagerly await Christ's coming. Look, earthly citizenship, it has, it has a limit. It can't do many things. One day I was reading about an article. It says, how powerful is your passport? That's the, that's the, that's the, that's the title of the article. How powerful is your passport? And I think UK was number one, US is number two. And you know, there are 196 countries, right? But UK, if you have a UK passport, you can travel to, I think, 176 countries with your British passport and you have certain privileges. America is 174. So even with all this passport, you can't even go to 196 countries. The rest, they will give you so many interruptions and... You know, all that sort of thing. So even with all these achievements, you have this passport and everything. You still can't travel around the whole world. So what's the point? (laughs) Be mindful of your heavenly citizenship. It is said that if you want to travel to the end of this world, it will take you 225 trillion years. But if you want to stand in the presence of the Lord, just say, Abba Father. Be mindful of your heavenly citizenship. Take advantage of that and eagerly await for the coming of the Lord, which is known as the blessed hope. Amen. Now, Philippians chapter 4. We're done with Philippians chapter 3 now. Let's move to Philippians chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, so now Paul is saying that on this ground, you know, when... The Bible was written. It wasn't written in chapters. It was just written, just one letter. It's the translators that have put them in chapter, in verses, so that there will be some order when you read it and some clarity. So you might think that chapter 4 is a different thing. It's, it's the continuation of chapter 3. Therefore, on these grounds, on everything that I have talked about, my beloved and long for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord. Beloved, I like to end with this one. Stand fast in the Lord. Stand fast carries the idea of standing firm. Stand fast carries the idea of persevering. It means to persist. It means to keep on standing. Keep standing. Keep standing. Don't fall. Keep standing. Be resolute in your conviction of who Christ is. Keep standing. Persevere, persist. And let me give you one supporting scripture. When Paul made a case for resurrection, we looked at that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 
He talked about resurrection. But he ended it on verse 58, the last verse. He said, My beloved brethren, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor will not be in vain. I came to encourage somebody. Keep standing. Keep standing for your Christian beliefs. Keep preaching the gospel. Keep believing God. Keep praising God. Keep worshiping God. Keep reading the Bible. Keep praying. The Bible says, they that sow in tears, they shall reap in joy. Maybe people are laughing at you. You might have been the ridicule and the scorn of all your friends for your Christian faith. Keep standing. Don't give up. This is not the time to quit. This is not the time to drop the ball. This is not the time to give up. This is not the time to throw in the towel. Don't throw in the towel. Still stand in the boxing ring and contend for your faith and stand firm. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And just as verse 13 says, that God is able to do as he wills in you that you are able to do according to his good pleasure. Rely on the grace of God to keep on standing. Don't give up. Persist. Persevere. Persevere against the lies of the enemy. Persevere against the enemies of the cross. Keep standing. Keep standing firm because the Bible says that when you do that, your labor shall not be in vain. And with this, it is not enough to know about the resurrection. We should attain to the resurrection from the dead. Make sure your knowledge is experiential. Be a partaker of the resurrection. That is the greater blessing. In conclusion, we wrap up our series on knowing Christ. I have stayed on Philippians chapter 3 for six sessions since New Year's Eve. I believe God wanted the church to hear his heart out this morning as we walk with the guiding word for this season in our year of knowing Christ. His message is simple. I desire fellowship. I desire communion. I desire relationship with mankind. For this reason, God sent his son Christ to come and die for the sins of this world so that that communication gap will be our bridge. So today, you and I can have access into the throne of grace. You and I can have fellowship and relationship with God. The heart of God today is that if you want to know me, relate. Fellowship with me. I bring my message to an end. This is my story. This is my song. They that are wise, let them hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. Lift up your voice and begin to pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Give you praise. Give you praise. Bandena Madozi Bantolima Kandoni Madosi and Tadiboshi Kadababa and Talimadaka in the Lemon Suko de Badabatayam de Lekobaba Manto Sibanto. In fact, during the time I was preparing this message, one of the prayers I prayed was Lord, I pray that the impact of this series upon the saints that will hear this message is that may they have spiritual understanding. And why do I say that? Colossians 1 verse 9. Paul prayed this prayer for the Colossian church. 
that I pray that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. So I pray that may you have spiritual understanding this morning. And when you have spiritual understanding, your perspective and your paradigm in this walk of faith will change. I bless your people, O Lord. I pray that may they have spiritual understanding indeed. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.